You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. And I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that looks at the box art trailers and behind the scenes. And we are starting, well, we're actually ending the hot and sweaty month. But then we're going into another month, which we'll announce later. We always do. But I just want to say there is a link. So think about it. Maybe we'll give a few hints. Mostly we'll keep it secret, right? Yeah, I mean, if, if, you, if we're saying we're doing another month uh, after this one, I feel like it is kind of obvious what it is, but that's okay. Let it be obvious. We're not going to say explicitly. You can figure it out. But yeah, it's a connective tissue. We're finishing hot and sweaty month, and we're starting who knows what month. <laughs> yeah, so what are we doing to finish hot and sweaty? Uh, a movie that literally starts with steam <laughs> and like uh, a bubbly image of the hot, hot sun. It's 1994's Maverick. I'll, I'll see your bet and uh, I'll call. I'm running low on chips here. Two pairs of a queen. Oh, lucky thing for me, I had three sixes. Sorry. Looks like you broke your losing streak. Nice pot. I don't see what's so great about it. I'm a gambler. You're a gunfighter. The fact of the matter is, if I'd have tried to face you down, I mean, what chance would I have had? Absolute zero. None, whatever. Was that fast? Want to see it again? <laughs> Mel Gibson. Damn thing won't stay in the holster. <laughs> Whoop! Oh, Jodie Foster. This silly-looking creature's called Maverick, and, and my name is Annabelle Bransford. I'll be taking the stage. Well, so am I. So am I. James Garner. You can relax and enjoy the journey now. Maverick. Don't worry. Nothing to worry about. I got it all under control. How well I remember my first runaway stage. A Richard Donner film. Don't you think you should go out there and help him? Well, I could do that, absolutely. But, you know, after he's worked so hard, he might resent it. With a little luck, Maverick will be here. Dealer's choice? Okay, five cards tied, but no, I think I prefer draw. <laughs> you gotta learn to loosen up, kid. Have some fun. This is poker. Ooh, yeah. This was an interesting time in movies because right when this was coming out, you had Flintstones. I remember this. It was like May 1994. Flintstones was in theater. Maverick was in theater. Now, Maverick, I think, was... I definitely got dragged there by my uncle. That's fine. He loved westerns, but... I mean, honestly, Kid Steve, he wanted to see Flintstones. <laughs> uh, 1994 is, in my opinion, the greatest year for movies that I've ever lived. Uh, it had everything sort of that I loved from this to Flintstones to like The Mask. And now I'm drawing a blank on literally everything else that came out in 1994. Well, yeah, The Crow is one of my favorite movies. You pull up a list of 1994, you're going to find a lot of stuff that I particularly love. So I consider this to be one of the best years for movies ever. And mm-hmm. uh, this one definitely fits in. It was a sweaty, hot summer movie. Uh, I could not wait to see it, little young me. And I did not get to see it in theaters because I was real, real young. Mm-hmm. But as soon as it came out on video, I did see this one. And... Uh, well, I, I don't know. I think I was excited to see this one. I'm not a Western guy. I'm still not a Western guy, but, but I think I was excited to see this one with like just the star power. A lot of actors I recognized were in this, and that got me excited. Yeah, I remember other movies around this time period. Of course, The Lion King. Uh, and then we got Speed, which we did mm-hmm. not too long ago. City Slickers 2. But yeah, I mean, I think the one both you and I have loved the most is When a Man Loves a Woman. Oh, yes, of course. (laughs) The Disney classic about loving an alcoholic lady. (laughs) I kind of forgot all about that movie, but now the trailers are like flooding back to me for that one. (laughs) I always forget that it was the subject matter was so deep because honestly, you just think, oh, when a man loves a woman, oh, that's a romantic comedy. No, not really. 
mean, it's Disney too. It's crazy. A lot of those '90s movies did that. Think of like My Girl and stuff like that that pull the rug out from under you, thinking you know it's just kind of a fun, whimsical thing, and then it's like, nope, serious shit. That's just what those '90s movies did. And and then for this one, this one bought into a trend that we talked about off air a little bit last time we recorded. Uh, and it's sort of the trend of post westerns that dances with wolves inspired in the 90s yeah are you reading my notes because that's kind of crazy it's literally my next note is 90s 90s western revival yeah we did we saw a western revival after the big hit that dances with wolves is and you can hear me and ashley talk about that in our af high list podcast we just did that one recently and spoilers loved it and and then we, it led to unforgiven city slickers city slickers 2 this uh tombstone silverado you know there were so many of them that came out after this well don't even forget about back to the future 3 back to the future 3 also was a western now i know that's a little bit different but you know you got of mice and men i remember that came out at this time period and that's not a full western but it's got that western vibe did you mention legends of the fall legends of the fall was one of them yeah yeah I mean, it was it was huge. I mean, the Quick and the Dead, I think, was 1996 and uh, Dead Man, which was not a huge hit. But Johnny Depp being Johnny Depp in 1995, that some of these decided to be very much pro Native American, which I don't remember at all. Yeah, it was kind of a subtle thing. I feel like that happened. I mean, we were younger and that's probably kind of how we didn't. It kind of went over our heads. But like. Yeah, it was kind of a thing that really happened again with Dances with Wolves. Dances with Wolves was kind of the first movie that did Cowboys and Indians and did gave the Native Americans finally, like, they were not the savages that they were perceived to be in, like, the John Wayne westerns and stuff like that. And Maverick picks up that hat, too, because this one, Maverick is friends with the Native Americans, and they are kind of a fun you know section, I guess, of the movie and fun characters to interact with. And it, again, is another sort of positive look at native americans so it was something definitely in the water at the time something that was going on going around in these movies and good good on dance with wolves for starting it and good on this movie for keeping it going now for the most part i would say westerns are dead um they kind of live on in dystopian films and more importantly space operas i have this discussion with people all the time westerns just turned into space operas and then people look at me funny and I'm like, well, think about it. Most of the time, space operas are gunslingers in space. They're going around. They're pirates. So they're kind of like a combination of Western movie and pirate movies combined. They absolutely are. Um, and I, th- I think that is where we see the last stand of the uh, the Western. Like, I think, too, we see them sometimes in action movies as well, where it, d- it dips our toes into sort of maybe like the Western hero or villain but yeah we never really see a full-blown western i the last probably great western of like this era that i can think of was hell or high water but that was such a neo-western you know post-western anyway it wasn't exactly like maverick for example which is straight up straight western well i do i can tell you the one guy who's really good at taking a solo character and mixing him him or her into an entourage of characters in these worlds that he likes to build is richard donner yes you look at all these movies that he's done with superman now superman was a different he was taking on a completely different challenge there but you know if you look at like superman he is dumped into this world of all these characters and he's trying to understand how to maneuver in it if you look at you know like lethal weapon if you look at what's the other ones i'm thinking about where the omen goonies like he's so good at building these worlds and placing this protagonist or anti-hero or whatever I, i feel like a lot of his protagonists are more like anti-heroes than full heroes and maybe that's just him personally i think that's more interesting you know and that it isn't just like a normal plain good guy i think if it's a good guy with an edge or a bad guy with a heart of gold whichever way you want to look at it uh the i think that's more interesting and yeah donner's really good at popping these characters into i don't want to say necessarily ensembles because this if we're taking Maverick, for example, is absolutely a Mel Gibson led movie. Maverick is the star, but you are you're getting like Jodie Foster and James Garner and James Coburn and all these other great actors and stuff that get their time to shine, too, in the movie. And like, yeah, it's it's a it's a well lived in ensemble that Donner is creating. 
Well, maybe instead of ensemble, I should just say it's like the world. It's the world of characters and everyone is most of his characters throughout his entire time of making movies are very interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know what he does. I, I just maybe it's his attention to detail. And that's what it is. It's like you, you look at like Donner as a filmmaker and he may not be like as flashy as, you know, like a, a Spielberg, you know, taking like the Goonies combination for example or you know uh a sam raimi or something like that like uh of like sort of name directors or whatever tim burton anything like that he's not as flashy as that but i think you're right his attention to detail and his i guess filmic patience is what sets him apart and why he was one of the greats uh for sure i'm glad we're i'm glad we're covering this movie right after we just lost richard donner pretty recently yeah. And I'm glad we're able to kind of celebrate in with this movie uh, here because I think it is a good example of sort of, like I said, his patience, his attention to detail and like his style that, like I said, may not be as flashy as some of the other guys, but is definitely a mark. And I think he is an auteur of his time for sure. I agree. So let's get into this film, the VHS. If we're walking down on a Friday night and we're looking to rent something, Matt, you got the VHS. What are we looking at? Yeah, we get it. We get the cover. That is the. That's also the poster. It, it it's advertising the stars. You've got Mel Gibson, Jodie Foster, James Garner, all kind of in a row. Their names are on the title. We've got uh, Gibson and Garner standing up. Jodie Foster sitting down at the poker table. We see the poker chips on the table. She's holding a fan. There's a little oil lamp lantern lighting them behind them. There's, you know, a pattern. And then it says Maverick, Richard Donner film. And underneath it, we get like a picture of sort of the planes with the horses and the stagecoach from there's a stagecoach scene in the movie. And we get one review that says fast, funny. It's lethal weapons meets Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from the New York, New York Times. I would rent this movie back in the day just for the stars alone. I don't think the uh, the picture is very enticing otherwise because it is just advertising who's in it. But and I and I don't really like westerns, so I probably wouldn't be interested so much in like the planes that are at the bottom, but I I think I would pick this up and rent this just alone who it was and when it came out. Yeah, the only reason I saw this movie in theaters because I was dragged to it uh, by someone who really liked westerns and was probably babysitting me at the time. Which is fine, because I sort of kind of remember enjoying this. At the same time, I really didn't want to watch it. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was a young... I mean, I was, I don't know, 12 years old. That is not something... I want to see The Mask in 1994. Come on. Same. But at the same time, yeah, like I said, like I said this was one I really did want to see when it was coming out. But famous people did that for me. Not so much the premise. All right, flipping it over to the back. Matt, what's our description? Hilarious, a 10-gallon hit from WWOR-TV. We get one image of a little diamond with Jodie Foster and Mel Gibson kind of hugging up. And then here's our description. Annie up for laughter and action aplenty. Mel Gibson is sly gambler Brett Maverick. Jodie Foster is a charming scam artist. And James Garner, the original Brett Maverick from the Emmy-winning TV series, as a laid-back lawman in Maverick, the crowd-pleasing hit that deals you a winning hand. More twists than a switchback trail and more sleights of hand than a shell game, Maverick is a rollicking proof of how the West was fun. A riverboat poker tourney promises a winner-take-all of $500,000, and Brett aims to be the winner who does all the taking. But first, he must cope with the hangman's noose, a runaway stage, a wily Indian chief, Outlaws, ingrates, and a bag of rattlesnakes. And more close calls than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Don't miss the excitement. The Jokers, Gibson, Foster, and Garner are wild. Long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Reminds me of home right there. <laughs> Keeping the western vibe, kind of. The uh, southern western vibe here. I think this is good for our parents to rent at the time, and then you and I would fall into watching it. I, I think that's how most kids at around 10... Well, you were really young, so maybe not you. But I'm thinking they're like 8 to 13-year-old range. Because I, I don't think any kid's going to walk down the video store and rent this. Yeah, I don't think yeah, a teenager is going to want to pick this up. But, you know, there, there's an audience for it, for sure. Yeah, so you want to pop this tape in? Let's do it. 
Okay, but before we do, let's remind our listeners that we are having a a gift pack that we are sending out to our listeners. But we, there's a few little things you got to do. Now, if you've already rate and reviewed us on iTunes, you send that snapshot in to our Facebook or to our Gmail, whatever you want. It is analogjonestof at gmail.com. We will put you in to win. And if we get new reviews, which we're hoping for a lot on iTunes, I don't care if it's yours or your neighbors or your wife's or your son's daughter's. I don't care. If you send a picture of you rate and reviewing us on iTunes, we will put you in for the prize. And then we will draw it at the end of August and we will ship it to you. I'm not going to give you, you know, a broken VHS. Trust me, it'll be worth it. But you got to get those rate and reviews in. Send those screenshots to either analogjonestof at gmail.com or put it on our Facebook page. Yeah, we need those ratings. We need those reviews. Make make an Apple account if you need to to get them in there, whatever it takes. Because, yeah, like Steve said, 10 seconds of your time is going to be worth it if you win because you're going to get a ton of shit. So <laughs> it'll be it'll be good, though. <laughs> I promise you. Let's uh, pop this in. Feature presentation. And now our feature presentation. Matt, you said well, we had no trailers. So let's get on to this movie. Okay, so we have a flashback start. We've seen this in a lot of movies. Uh, Sometimes these are tough. These can be. I I think this one pulls it off perfect. It's uh, kind of like shows you a flashback. Then the the main character tells you the story. And then halfway through the story, we get back to zero, so to speak. The, you know, exact time that he's at in the timeline. Uh, In our flashback, we get to meet a bunch of interesting characters. And I do like the theme of this movie. There's two of them. Trust no one and magic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of fun characters that he can't trust. And what I like about it is he also can't be trusted himself. So it's just like the first hour of this is like, who can you trust? No one. Even your friends. It does feel like sleight of hand again like tied to magic it's just like oh nope this is what you did think no this is not what's happening you know whether it's coming from mel gibson's maverick character or one of the other people he's having a run-in with he is there's always a rug being pulled out from under you yeah and brett's a really fun interesting character played by mel gibson uh he's a hell of a poker player he's a fast draw he's not a tough guy but he's really smart, which gets him out of situations. And one of my favorite situations he's in is he sets he goes to a poker game and he's with a gunslinger. And then we we'll also see uh, Alfred Molina is in there, who's a fun actor. I mean, this guy can play muscle. He can play a scientist. He can do whatever he wants. And every movie he is interesting. He is fun to watch. What a great character actor slash prestige actor. Truly like. Dude can win awards. Dude can play fun stuff like this. I Yeah, I love watching Alfred Molina, and I'm kind of glad that he is sort of, in a movie that doesn't really have like a defined villain, he's kind of our villain in the movie. The villains and the heroes are all murky, and I think that's the whole point of what Richard Donner and the screenwriters trying to put forward here. No one's really a hero, in the traditional sense. Yeah, everybody's out for kind of themselves, you know, and, and, and the money is what talks. Yeah, everybody's in it for the money, too. Yes, speaking of money, $30,000 to get into this card game, which is going to be played in Missouri. Homestay! (laughs) Uh, $30,000 in whatever time period this was. I didn't actually catch it. It's 1800 something, right? I think so. And it's it's $25,000. Not to lessen it, but like that is, that's how much it is. Oh, that's right. It's $25,000 to get in. Half a million pot, half a million winnings. Yes, and right now in the story, he's got 22, and he's got to make 3,000 before kind of the end, before the showdown happens with the big, uh, big poker game. So he's the movie, the whole movie, you're sort of following him as he's just trying to make this three grand. (laughs) So, I mean, he tries to make the three grand like three or four ways. First, he plays Jodie Foster's character in a card game with Alfred Moore or Alfred Molina. And he sets up a fake fight, uh, I guess, to intimidate the card players because then he comes in like with full confidence. I mean, he embarrasses the gunslinger first, then he does the fake fight. Then he comes in with full confidence and takes all the money. 
But what's fun about him is he's being a complete goofball the entire time. And then another thing I would say, too, about sort of the atmosphere of like, say, this first card game or whatever. If you've ever been to like a theme park, like, say, for example, Six Flags, if you're in Illinois or. Yeah. So one of those. And you go to the western town in that theme park. That's kind of what this movie looks and feels like. You know, when you see them doing this poker game in this first saloon here, it totally feels like you're walking into like a gift shop that looks like a saloon. And I'm not, this is not a criticism. This is sort of the 90s pop version of, uh, of the, of the Western look. Uh, but it does, it feels like you're walking into like a Six Flags Western town when you're, when you get to this like opening scene. And I would say that's like a vibe that continues throughout the whole movie. Again, not a criticism. I think it's like kind of an interesting choice. Well, I think that's also kind of a vibe of what Warner Brothers wanted to sell people from their theme parks that they were involved in and their movies. I I just Warner Brothers feels like that hokey Western uh, the whole family can go to kind of like theme park movies. And I'd say this is one of them. Absolutely. This totally fits in that vibe. I mean, it's a PG movie. It is sort of a family thing and it is a romanticized version of this kind of time. And that's okay by me. There's three characters in this that are like the total ripoff slash friends. Jodie Foster, who is a thief, a pickpocket, and also a con artist. And he tries to steal, you know, Brett's wallet. And then they have back and forth. And that's fun. Uh, and then you have his friend Joseph. I mean, first of all, his name is Joseph. And he's pretending to be like the most old school Native American. What's with the drums? I mean, and the war paint and the horses. What are you doing here? Oh, we had kind of a lousy year. Not much left to hunt. So when this Russian Archduke, that's where I got the bike. He came along and wanted to see the real West, so I said, okay. He pays well. We get all dressed up in war paint and go whooping around like idiots. He wants me to speak like they say in the books. Oh, oh, oh wait, man. You people are such assholes. Of course, he's got to hear the war drums all the time. But the whole point of this is Joseph and my personal favorite scene with the banker, who's played by... Yeah, Jeffrey Lewis. I think that's his name. Playing Matthew. Yes, Jeffrey Lewis. Yes, yes, yes. With the with the super blue eyes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you owe me a thousand dollars. I only have a hundred. Then Danny Glover comes in, which is a bizarre scene in this film. I get it because this movie's goofy and it's a comedy. I just didn't expect it. But then Danny Glover and him look at each other and they're like, no. And of course, coming off Lethal Weapon movies, so. Much obliged. Empty your pockets, old man. Come on. Come on. I got a silver dollar. Then. Silver dollar? You better do better than that. This trigger finger's in my dance. All right. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Take it. Oh, I'll be Jesus. You told me you were broke. Well, I am now. He's got it. Yeah, yeah I'm going to get the rest of it. I don't Come have any more. Pull those pockets out. Someone's been telling right. Hurry up! Hurry up! Hey! Oh, I'm sorry. Give me that. <sighs> right, this is after Lethal Weapon 3, so this is like kind of our unofficial Lethal Weapon 4 before we got Lethal Weapon 4 because of this scene. Uh, yeah, it. Uh, they do have the interaction, and Danny Glover has the I'm getting too old for this shit line, and... Uh, Corey Feldman's in his gang for some reason. It's fun. Wait, he is? Yes. You only see him for a second, but he's in there. Oh, I didn't notice that at all. Wow. Yeah. Corey Feldman's one of the guys. So another Richard Donner uh, alum coming back from Goonies. Uh, It's yeah, it was this movie is doing a lot of that because I also noticed that there's a lot of country stars that are in this as well as like uh, uh, background characters and things like that. And it, and it is like a little tip of the hat. And then there's also references to the old show, which I don't even know, other than the description, I don't know if we've talked about it yet, but this was a TV series from mm-hmm. the 50s that got adapted into a movie, which was something that was very 90s, that every TV show was getting made into a movie at the time. They have specific references to episodes, and like in terms of there's a scene where Jodie Foster shrinks Mel Gibson's shirt. That is from an episode. They, uh, she calls him Bert which is from an episode as well. So there's like little nods to obviously, yeah, like Lethal Weapon, like we were talking about, to country music at the time and to the old show. There's a lot of 
tipping of 10 gallon hats, if you will, in this. I mean, there were so many cameos or like special appearances in this when I was looking through the list of uh, most of them I didn't know. Oh, okay, cool. They're all old Western stars. I mean, that means nothing to me and you for the most part. But Mm. I mean, I'm sure for the audience at the time who all grew up in the 50s and 60s watching this, sure that meant a lot yeah even having james garner in there who was the original maverick as like one of the mains is kind of fun and then you know when you get to the end and you realize that they're related it is it does feel kind of like this is a sequel then to the show uh this is matt spoiler (laughs) i I would hope people have watched it if if we're talking about it or they're probably not gonna watch it (laughs) if we're talking about it so uh spoilers abound I, I will be honest, I didn't know James Gardner was part of the original Maverick TV series until after I watched the movie, because I wondered to myself, really, James Gardner? Oh, okay. I mean, he's he's fine. He, he actually, to me, he starts out really dry and slow, and I didn't really like him, but then the last, like, 30 minutes of the movie, he pays off extremely. He just becomes a different character, and I think they did that on purpose. They basically, yeah, are slipping him back into the Maverick role at, by the end of the movie. Uh, and at the beginning, they're kind of withholding it and not kind of giving you that. A nice little, again, pacing timed thing by Donner to do with Garner being the cam- not a cameo, but sort of another reference to the old show. So kind of smart they did it that way. Yeah, it was fun. But I, I'm going to be honest, for the first hour, this movie is not for me. It's got some fun scenes. I, I completely admit that. I had a few laughs, but honestly, I'm like, I'm just not into this whole like kooky, horny Western comedy. It's, it's not for me, being completely honest. But I can tell you during this 127 minute runtime, the last 30 minutes of this film is really good. Yeah, that's when it gets really, really crazy fun. Uh, I would say, see, I really like this movie, and I think that this is sort of the perfect sort of TNT Saturday afternoon, you know, the plot's easy to follow. It looks good. There's stars in it. It's a polished movie. You throw it on TNT uh, when you're doing dishes or something like that or cleaning the house on a Saturday. And it's kind of the perfect movie for that. And I and that's what I like about this movie. And I, I, I didn't have a problem with the first hour or first half or anything like that. To me, this movie is just a breeze. Now, we kind of teased last week that that this was like one of my favorites. It's not one of my favorite movies, but it is a movie that I, I, I guess I consider a favorite of the kind of movie it is. And I don't mean Western. I mean that kind of TNT movie. This is one of my favorites to just throw on, have on while you're doing other stuff kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that kind of fascinates me. Uh, Not so much that you like this type of movie. Uh, I like a lot of movies that some people wouldn't find great. Personal favorites should be personal favorites. Doesn't matter what it is. Um, What surprises me about this is you typically like insanity. (laughs) And, And this is very like fun, wacky family comedy. Yeah, this is kind of the opposite. So straightforward. You know, it's so just this is how it is. And it's sort of ABC moving along the plot. Very, like I said, almost just like easy to follow. Yeah, it's a little bit different than sort of the tonal schizophrenia that I usually like in movies. But uh, it it serves its purpose for what it is. And like I said, for like a TNT kind of movie, I think this is one of my favorites. I, it did surprise me, though, when you first told me this, like, I really enjoyed this film way back in the day. And I always remembered because I was like, we're going to do this. Now, when we decided to do this, we pretty much killed Richard Donner. Yeah, because we did decide long before anything happened. <laughs> and then he um, died and was like, oh, shit. And we do we do have this weird power, because if you know, notice that the Faust TV show is coming out based on that comic book, you know, other things we'll do that'll randomly get remakes or sequels. Uh, I hope our power didn't kill Richard Donner this time. <laughs> well, you got to take the good with the bad. I mean, it's just what it is. He was an old man. Uh, unless, you know, tomorrow when this. Uh, no, no don't you don't you world, do it. Don't there's going to be it. a sequel or remake. And, definitely announced for this i i thought you were gonna say like richard donner did something bad in his past and i was like no don't you do it don't you touch my donner no i'm saying our weird power of having an episode be out i feel like uh you know the maverick redo of the tv show is gonna come out tomorrow or something like that we'll see uh so-and-so is trying to bring back the western and doing a new maverick or something like that or mel gibson will be doing a cash grab 
and <laughs> announce he's Maverick directing and starring in a sequel. <laughs> yeah. The movie that literally no one's asking for because the people who really enjoyed it in the past are probably dead. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, this movie, we didn't even really talk about it at the beginning. This movie made money. This yeah, movie was a hit. And was really well reviewed too, and yeah. still is. If you go on IMDb, it has like a seven something out of ten. If you go on like rate any kind of Google ratings, I think it's like a five and a, or four and a half out of five. Like this has high ratings. Yeah, it's it's well received by everyone. You're you're right, but at the same time, it still feels buried, and I don't. Yeah, know it why. feels like it's no one talks about it anymore. No one really brings it up. It's like sort of one of those ones that came out, was understood, was good, and then we were done with it. <laughs> So Brett has gotten his $25,000. He's entered the card game. And this does introduce one of my favorite characters, the Commodore. James Coburn. I looked at some of his younger pictures. I'll be honest. I did not recognize that man. But man, what a distinct look. I think you and Ashley had brought this up in the past. That one thing old Hollywood or middle-aged Hollywood, whatever it is, during the 50s, 60s, 70s especially... They tend to find some of the most interesting looking actor and actresses. And he's one of them. Yeah, he is. He's just got like a face. You know what I mean? Like a face that's recognizable and it's not traditionally handsome, but he is almost good looking in the in the fact that he's kind of different looking, you know? And then also he's one of those guys that like almost had kind of a second career while he was old. And I can only kind of picture him as old him, even though I've totally seen some old movies with him in it young. It's like they're two different actors in my brain. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of them. I know exactly what you're talking about. Charlton Heston is another perfect example. Where he was recognizable from his young self completely, but I feel like he was a star in the 60s, 70s, and then the 90s again, randomly. Right. And then he had that look that he had all throughout the 90s, and that was kind of what we picture that actor as. Yeah, and that's Coburn here too. The white hair, the beard, like that's how I picture him for a long time. And it's like, oh yeah, he had this whole career earlier where he looked like a younger dude. <laughs> yeah, Anthony Hopkins now. Yeah. Like where he's playing just these, and you could even say our star of our film, Mel Gibson. I, I think later on in movies we're going to do, we're going to talk more about the Mel Gibson rise and fall and rise again. Um, now he's not, anywhere near the rise he used to be we're gonna save that for other podcasts hint hint about movies we're doing next <laughs> month just hint hint but anyway i think i feel like he has a completely different look not obviously he's aged but i mean he's just different yeah you, you have you have the sort of the filmography of the old man gibson versus you know young studly you know uh people's hottest men list mel gibson <laughs> mm -hmm. and i want to tell you uh, and again, this is something that we'll talk about in future episodes. <laughs> Mel Gibson was on fire right now. And I don't want to get too much into that, but I feel like this is right before he kind of like delves into directing. And I think this is right before Braveheart, correct? Yeah, this is the kind of birth of the, the icon productions. His production company mm -hmm. is with this. And uh, yeah, it's right before one year before Braveheart happens. Yeah, and I can tell you Richard Donner was one of his most, I don't want to say friends. I don't know if they were buddy-buddy friends, but he was his mentor in directing, and that's a hell of a mentor to have. Exactly, and it, it, after coming off of four movies with Donner to go and then direct your first movie, I mean, yeah. What, what tutelage you've come from, you know? And then yeah. Braveheart was a runaway success, so go figure. <laughs> I can tell you these muscle heads in these 80s and 90s films. Now, I don't know if Mo Gibson's a muscle head. He's just kind of lean, good looking, and, and very good at his craft. But Stallone and Mel Gibson, it's amazing how well they learn to craft a story. Like, I, I know Stallone started out on, on fire with Rocky. But he hit a low, and then he said his low is what taught him to like really craft films on his own. He could write his own scripts. Now, obviously, that kind of clashed with a lot of directors and stuff in the future. We've talked about that. But I'm just talking about them as filmmakers. They know what they're doing, both of them. And I think they're the best of the 80s action stars to learn how to do that. Yeah, they really transitioned 
you know, hard in the, I wouldn't say fully directing, but it's like Mel Gibson at this point pretty much is only a director. He'll show up in stuff sometimes and that's for obvious reasons, but like he is pretty much a filmmaker now. And yeah, Stallone switches all the time. He will just go and direct something. Mm-hmm. He'll go and direct, you know, Rambo 4 randomly, you know, like he, he just, he does that as well. And yeah, I think they, I think they are for what they are good filmmakers. I don't really like Mel Gibson's movies that much because they're kind of all long and kind of dry. But like, I, I there's a there's a technique that's there at least. Oh yeah, he has a definite technique, and even Stallone has a technique. They're just not, you know, like I think what made Arnold great is he knew he had no skill in that, but he was really good at finding the skillful people in that, and he was good at being in that. Like he knows. James Cameron was the best thing that ever happened to him. He he said it. I heard him say it in an interview. James Cameron is the the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned that I had no business being behind the chair. Which is funny because he has he the only thing Arnold has directed is a single episode of Tales from the Crypt, and it is filled with so much flash and pizzazz, and it's one of like the craziest episodes of the show. I almost do wish he did go back in to directing because he did a, a really really like unique job on the one episode that he directed of that and i would have loved to have seen him translate that into a movie but yeah he probably just didn't have the confidence in himself or you know the confidence that sly and uh, mel had in sort of making movies but him having done one thing i would have really loved to have seen him do something else but Alas, not. Yeah. We'll always have that Tales from the Crypt episode. <laughs> Arnold always said he had the work ethic. He didn't have the attention to detail. He didn't understand how to motivate people to act uh, because he never needed motivation. Uh, so, I mean, he probably never knew how to get it out of people. He was his own motivation. The man was insane. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? In Cameron taught him how to be an actor, maybe not a filmmaker, but an actor. I said it before. I'll say it again. Should won the Oscar for T2. <laughs> I can't argue that. I still think it to this day. We've we've done T2. I wish the audio was better than that, but um, that's my fault. It's just a movie that transition. You know, like it's not a 90s movie. It's a legend. It's legendary. It's forever. Timeless. Like, I don't care what year you watch it. 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2042. That movie's just going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's got that. So I guess he didn't need to do the Mel Gibson route of becoming a filmmaker. <laughs> uh, anyway, back into this. So they get into the poker game. And what I love about this is, you know, you have the the Gardner, Gibson, and Jodie Foster kind of trifecta here where she's flirting with both of them. But what I love is Gibson helps her get into the card game. It's fun. I think he wants the challenge of beating her, which he does end up later. But so like I I thought this whole thing because I had not seen this since it first came out in a long time and I'd forgotten a lot of the secrets about it. And I was like, okay, it's fun to watch them play. It's fun to watch him beat them, do all this stuff. What I did not know was James Gardner was going to literally turn coat and steal the money after Brett had won it all. I thought... This entire turn was fantastic. Now, this might have been super obvious to anyone who watches it or anyone who knew the Maverick TV series. It wasn't to me, so it was a lot of fun to watch. Him just flip out the gun like, eh, sorry, got to take all your money, Commodore and Brett. Bye. Yeah, I always forget this too because the thing I remember about the ending is the two of them in the bath talking together because in terms of just like, tour de force acting and just a fun scene i think that end scene with the two of them and then jodie foster of course shows up and steals some of the money and stuff like that i think that is like the best scene in the movie and it's a nice sort of cherry on top once we get to the end uh but yeah i do always also forget that like he turns on them first before that happens now i remember that they were father and son but i didn't know that how how that came together at the end that wasn't as fun to me because it's kind of overshadowed by how great the con is because then Commodore comes and meets Gardner and he's just like, you know, I'm still going to steal the money from you even though they're supposed to split it. 
So Garner this entire time is going to steal the money. Commodore is going to come and they're going to split it. But then Brett shows up and it makes you think that Brett's taking it for both of them. Then Gardner shows up. They're both taking a bath. They're father and son having a smoke. I do love the whole line of like, you're always screwing up my lines. I never said that. (laughs) And the whole thing like where Foster comes in. And what I love about this is it sets up a sequel. Yes. And we made the joke of maybe Mel Gibson will come and do it. I really doubt it. Uh, What I like about it is it doesn't feel like it's setting up a sequel. It just feels like the adventure is about to continue with these two. And I can tell you right now, I am more interested in Gardner and Gibson being father and son adventure time than the solo. I understand we have to have the setup and I understand this movie is actually good and a lot of fun. But there is something about those two together that I would love to see. Yeah, that would be an absolutely hysterical fun journey but i do like yeah like we won't we won't get a sequel in that respect but i i also love the fact that like this is just gonna go on forever (laughs) like everybody's just gonna be stealing from everybody until nothing's left pretty much and i sort of love that that's what it sets up And, and brett they could do a sequel though where brett turns into the father just like james gardner we have a new brett so to speak but anyway uh, I do love how he put half the money in his boot and half the money in the chest. And he says, I don't know why. We know why. He he needs the game. He needs the chase. He needs to. Now he's like, well, I guess we got to go after. Can't wait to go. <laughs> yeah. And they're almost like they're indulging in that. And, and that's the type of characters I think that Richard Donner does well. The anti-hero, the murky hero, the murky protagonist, whatever you want to call it. There's just it's a gray area, and I think it's what's fun because you can have the most amount of arc with those characters. You know, you can't like Superman has always been good. What fucking arc are you gonna do with that? Right. Oh, he started out good and he ends good? Okay. It's boring. It's the same thing with a character like Superman that's all powerful. It's boring. You gotta have someone or some woman, they have to be flawed. They don't even have to be likable. Being likable is kind of like something that's overrated. You don't have to be likable, but you have to be flawed and get to a situation and have an arc. I feel like a lot of people forget that and everyone wants to make the most likable character arc. Just make them enjoyable with an arc. Exactly. Make them watchable. Make them. There's a sense of adventure to it, you know, and that's more important than just a goody goody good guy. You know, like, let's let's go on this adventure with this crazy guy. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And they don't have to be even crazy in the traditional sense. They just got to be like a little like imagine um, what is the Silver Linings playbook? Like neither of them were bad crazy, but they were both crazy. And watching that relationship unfold was fantastic. I don't even watch that movie much, but that movie's always stuck with me with two like crazy characters who come together. But they're not bad crazy. So you don't you don't have to make like the the pure anti-hero. I it just that's just one movie that came to mind. Yeah, it's all about making three-dimensional characters that you want to watch and that doesn't always mean they're good guys, it doesn't always mean they're bad guys. It just means they're interesting and sometimes interesting is a little crazy. But you know what is good, Matt? Blood drives Hi Geekscapists, the Geekscape Podfather Jonathan here. In May, we lost one of our own, longtime Geekscapist Christopher Ellis, who was a friend and a part of our geek community from the very beginning. Chris even met his wife Sarah through our podcast, and their 2015 wedding seemed like a giant Geekscape party. Chris's final weeks battling in the hospital shed light on a huge national problem. The COVID pandemic has almost completely depleted our national and local blood banks. These supplies are used by thousands of hospitals to provide life-saving treatments to patients or to buy enough time for loved ones just to say goodbye. So for the next month and beyond, we're going to do it big in Chris's memory and do some good in the process. We're throwing a blood drive. Visit www.aabb.org to find a donation center near you or visit other blood and platelet donation centers like the Red Cross. And let's make things interesting. For the next month, take a selfie of yourself donating with the hashtag GeekscapeGives and tag your favorite Geekscape podcast. We'll pick some charitable Geekscapists to send prizes to and the podcast that gets mentioned the most 
will also get some cool rewards. I should actually cancel the podcast that gets mentioned the least. Can I do that? Whatever. The point is, go out there and donate some blood, tag a selfie of yourself doing it with the hashtag GeekscapeGives, and get others to do the same. We couldn't save our friend Chris, but we can do a whole lot of good in his name. Geekscape forever! Oh, yes, they are. Do you like that transition? I did my best. It was perfect work. All right, so go on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and you've got to put in the hashtag AnalogJones at Geekscape Forever, and uh, show a selfie of yourself giving blood, and uh, Geekscape will give you some prizes, so help us out. Thank you for letting us know about that, and thank you for doing it, Geekscape. That's a really cool and noble cause, so thank you for doing that. This is why you guys are the best. Let's go on to the museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. This is the part of the show where we go out in the jungle like Indy and bring something back. Our VHS wing, our film museum we're going with the maverick richard donner mel gibson starring movie matt because this is one of your childhood personal favorites on syndication did i nail that yeah that's perfect okay (laughs) what are you putting in there's so much that i like about this movie in just the general sense this is just one i really like I think it's a breezy, easy watch, and I really just enjoy this movie and can put it on and just zone out for two hours and have a good time with it. But I do think the final scene in the bathtub is an acting tour de force and is very fun and is a perfect cherry on top of the movie. I'm putting the final scene in the museum. That's a good one. I I mean, that final scene is one that I remembered from all these years. Garner's shaving in the tub and they're laughing about like losing half their money, which is $250,000 back then, which is, you know, I don't even know how much that is nowadays. I assume Lots. like $10 million. <laughs> uh, and, and how they're just having a good time. Like, oh, here we go. It's time for the chase. Mine is the, so at the beginning when he's talking to the gunslinger who thinks he's all tough, like Billy the Kid and everything, and Mel Gibson embarrasses him. But he does it in the nicest way possible, where the gunslinger sits back down and Jodie Foster goes, that was fast. Was that fast? I thought that was fast. (laughs) I love Mel Gibson's charisma. And I think this is what a lot of people forget, is if you watch a lot of young, past Mad Max, onto the Lethal Weapon, the, the Maverick, Mel Gibson is so charismatic. He's so likable, no matter what he does in these movies, until he gets to, like, Patriot. Yeah, I was even going to go as far as like the beaver, I would say he's pretty super charismatic. And I feel like the beaver kind of, which is directed by Jodie Foster, kind of kicks off sort of the old man Gibson acting style, I would say. Um, But yeah, up up until, yeah, God, the Patriots suck so much. It was awful. Um, But yeah, Mel Gibson, he was, he was so watchable and likable and charismatic in all these movies that... he was sort of a face of the 90s uh, in terms of megastars. Every time I rewatch him in certain movies, I just like it's so he's so damn good. And, you know, we'll talk about those movies in the future. Hint, hint, hint. That's three hints, Matt. They're going to they're gonna get it. They're going to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you should give them four hints. Oh, <laughs> I got it. Yeah, that took me one second. I'm going to edit it where like I instantly knew what you were talking about. <laughs> so let's go on to stuff we have watched. Now, first, I'll start with the Loki series. I'm going to let you in because, you know, I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> no, I'm talking about what we watched together. I'm going to let you end on that high note. But also, but also that. <laughs> yeah, you can you can talk all you want about Loki because I'm never going to watch it. So <laughs> I think Loki out of the Disney Plus series. Now, I wasn't a big fan of most of WandaVision. I, I loved it. They tried something different. The last three episodes kind of made me gag because the final boss, so to speak, was terrible. I know that was because of COVID or something. Yada, yada, whatever. Uh, I can only judge the final product. Boring Guy and Anthony Mackie. I didn't like that series. Sorry. 
if you're offended, sorry. I, I just, I really didn't like it. This is the one where I found it was most fascinating and, and most boring at the same time. And this is so weird to me because there are talky talky episodes that Matt would jump off a cliff. It's that bad. But then there are like three or four episodes of the six that are fantastic and I think really interesting. But at the same time, I can't stand time travel and I disliked it. But I really like this series at the same time. I feel like this one's such a mixed bag, but it's such a mixed bag in the positive view that I kind of hope and can't wait for season two. And that's really odd for me to say in a Marvel series. Nice. Yeah, that, that is interesting that this is the one that got you. This is the one that hooked you a little bit more, one that you would go back to. So I'm going to let you end on what you invited the entire group to watch for our first group meeting in a long time. Uh, me and Ashley often host our movie nights and things like that, but uh, we haven't had people over, obviously, in a long time in a group, big group setting. And we finally did it with uh, the Money in the Bank WWE pay-per-view because obviously we've gotten super into wrestling. So Steve came over, Alex came over, Chase came over. If you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know who all these characters are <laughs> because Alex has come through here with the Death Wishes. Chase is on uh, the 2001 episode of AFI List. So, And we've tried to get Chase on this, but he never wants to be on Analog Jones and everyone guilt Chase into getting on. <laughs> yeah, that episode of 2001 is one of the funniest episodes of that podcast. So motherfucker's good on the mic, but uh, we got to convince him to get on here he's the he's the he's like the best guy on a mic that is so shy that he won't get on a mic it's not even that he's shy i think he's he's a perfectionist he wants to do like the best job possible <laughs> then he should never be on analog because <laughs> <laughs> too freewheeling over here but yeah we got together and we watched this uh pay-per-view it was good to see steve in person again because we've been doing this for a year apart <laughs> a year and a half apart uh, so yeah, it was fun and we had a good time watching it and, uh, we'll probably do it again. Uh, wrestling has pay-per-views like every week now, so it's not going to be like every pay-per-view, but we'll probably pick and we another can one. Always, and we can always trust Peacock to keep it together. Oh my God. Yeah. If you guys are wrestling people at all and tried to watch Money in the Bank live, you know that Peacock cut out for like 10 minutes. <laughs> um, and people were freaking out online which was absolutely hysterical but uh luckily it didn't take away from any of the matches we just missed some intros and some videos that was all we missed so luckily that was it but yeah peacock went down for a little while um but i was glad we did it and i was glad we kind of brought these guys into uh our world because we've been, me and ashley have seen every episode since uh, wrestlemania covid so a year and a half or a year and three months or whatever it's been now uh we've seen every episode we've been obsessed with it we haven't missed a pay-per-view we haven't missed a raw we haven't missed a smackdown we haven't missed a dynamite if you're aew people so it was fun to like let people in on our world that we've been obsessed with for a while and you know steve has some background in the 80s wrestling and some of the attitude era stuff Alex was fun because he had no idea. And then Chase was Attitude Era Plus. He watched it a little after we kind of dropped off. So he knew some of the guys that came later. Yeah, we had a nice sprinkling because I'm more of the wrestling historian. Alex was the like, I don't know what's going on, which is fun is always. And Chase was the yeah, like 1997 and up. Yeah, to like 2003, 2004. So it's like kind of past us because we both kind of dropped out around 01. That's Chase true, stayed yeah. with it for a couple more years. So he knew some of the guys. And yeah, it was a nice sprinkling. And yeah, me, mine and Ashley's sort of area expertise is of the right now, the last year. So and I, I mean, we've been watching old ones and stuff too. And we could probably tell you too much about everybody at this point. But <laughs> yeah, it was nice to have a nice sprinkling. And it was kind of the perfect pay-per-view to do it with because it was... Outside of what, you know, in my personal opinion, wrestling fans would beg to differ. Outside of the last match, I thought that was a really fun pay-per-view. And that was perfect to have people over for. Oh, it really was. And I can tell you, as someone who was very uh, nervous about the women's league, the women's wrestling league, um, the women's championship, whatever we're calling it. Because back in my day, it was called Diva. And they were treated like uh, women used to be treated back in wrestling, just... You know, in bikinis. I remember back in the day when they were in bikinis matches and, and Jerry Laura was calling them puppies, you know, their boobs puppies all the time. So it was a different time when I watched. But I can tell you that that match that they had with was it six? 
Eight women. Eight women. That was awesome, and I think it was the best match. Actually, the women's matches were the best out of all of them because I could tell you the last match was awful. Yeah, that's something me and Ashley have been saying for this whole year. Uh, the women have basically taken over wrestling in terms of the fact that their matches are always the best. Always. The well, their costumes, the their moves, their energy, everything. Like They're like outperforming. Not, not all the matches. Some of the men were really good. So let's... I don't want anyone to think that it was rough because the final match between Edge and Rock Jr., whatever his name is. Yeah, Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly how much I pay attention to him. He is nowhere near the charisma of Rock. It's I mean, I don't think anyone not many people do. But Jesus, that apple fell like really far from the tree. The women's matches just were exciting. They were fun. They were electric. To me, yeah, like the women's matches remind me of what I fell in love with wrestling in the first place for back in the 90s. The women's matches now, because they are, like you said, they're the costume characters. They're great on the mic. They uh, they can perform like no other. The stunts and stuff they're doing are absolutely incredible. The acrobatics they're doing are absolutely incredible to me. It's like what 80s and early 90s wrestling was like, you know, they've sort of adapted that. And like, to me, that's pure wrestling. That's wrestling. That's what I come to watch wrestling for. Some of the dudes, it's like kind of like um, the best and um, the great, you know, male showboating stuff. The females, they came to fucking wrestle. And I think that's what's more interesting about them. And I, yeah, I, I completely agree with you as somebody who has given a year to this thing. The women, oh my God, they're the best part of wrestling right now. Yeah, and I can tell you at the very beginning when Charlotte Flair, which I'd never seen wrestle before ever, came on, I was not a fan of her, but she won me over with that match and she has kind of turned into my favorite. I've only watched her in one match, but her face, her expressions... Her style, I think I'm kind of like a giant Charlotte Flair fan now. That was ridiculous, and I loved every moment of it. I'm a, I'm a fan of both of those ladies that were in that fight. And uh, yeah, and for even though like you, you guys saw, they showed the packages and stuff, even though they're in a terrible storyline, the two of them, and yeah, Charlotte Flair has been one of the stars of wrestling for a while now. Um, yeah, they're amazing i love them i love them as characters so uh yeah that was a great match and i agree with you too it was one that like storyline was stupid i really wasn't getting into it and then they just fucking it's like they heard the crowd and were like all right let's go turn it up to a thousand and then they gave a great match that told a great dramatic story yeah i don't know what the storyline was before that and i don't care because when they got into that match i mean it started slow we were all worried but man they turned it up that match built and i fucking loved it Charlotte Flair, I'm getting a t-shirt. <laughs> Her fucking yeah. faces were fantastic. And I think that's part of why I loved Macho Man Savage. I love these reactions when someone kicks out of something that they shouldn't have. That's some of my favorite. And when they play to the crowd of like, they can't believe what the other wrestlers said or did. That's my favorite types of wrestlers. All of them. They, yeah. they have to make the faces at the crowd. I want an actor who can wrestle and entertain me and Charlotte Flair is it. Yes, it definitely has that star quality that you can't it's it's magnetic. You can't you can't explain it, but you see it and you're like, "Yep." <laughs> so, uh quickly give me an update what happened after the pay-per-view. Yeah, basically they uh had Rhea come out and they kind of had a fight, but then they were just beating the shit out of each other out on the the ramp and charlotte was just down she was just out and then you hear nikki's music come on and she runs out with the briefcase and cashes in and pins her one two three oh it does her move and then pins her one two three wins the belt and that was it it was beautiful like charlotte was just so beat down after one final confrontation hopefully final confrontation with rhea ripley so very interested to see where we're headed for SummerSlam, but we will not be having a party at our house for SummerSlam because me and ashley are going to SummerSlam. <laughs> That's awesome. Have fun, man. I hope you guys have a blast. I think we will. It's they're advertising it as this year's WrestleMania because WrestleMania happens still during kind of the beginning of vaccination. So 
they still it was still kind of they had a crowd for wrestlemania but it was still kind of not fully turned up yet SummerSlam, they're doing the wrestlemania thing it's big uh we found out at the end of the pay-per-view john cena's back so we're gonna see john cena at uh, SummerSlam, and then raw also featured the return of somebody who i was making fun of all money in the bank long and that Goldberg is back now too, and he's gonna fight Bobby Lashley at SummerSlam. So it'll be fun to see Goldberg and Cena there too. How's his cane that he's using <laughs> across the ring? Yeah, they I wheeled mean. him out there, and uh, you know he shrugged off the mummy dust, and then he came and challenged Bobby Lashley. <laughs> he's my favorite Jewish Santa. He always will. That's be. right. We we talked about him for some time on an episode that you can go listen to, <laughs> Santa Slay. A live episode. Oh, I love them. But that will end it this week until we come back for our next franchise review. Figure it out, Richard. Pretty obvious at this point. (laughs) Figure it out. But uh, yeah, we've got some we've got some uh, episodes between franchises. We've got some fun stuff coming up. We've got the prizes to win at the end of August. And we got a fantastic October coming up. So remember to be kind and rewind.